0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Heart Podcast. It's James Rudd here, the digital media editor. Today, we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the British Cardiovascular Society with a special edition of Heart, full of articles describing the history and evolution of the society, and also describing the contribution that it's made to cardiology both in the UK and worldwide. On the podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Carolyn Coates, who is a cardiologist and also the archivist of the BCS and also Dr. Ian Simpson, who is a past president of the BCS. I hope you enjoyed the show. Perhaps if I ask you both to introduce yourself for the heart audience, uh, Caroline, could you go first?
1: Yeah, thanks, um, James, and thanks for the invitation. So my, my name is Caroline Coates. I'm a consultant cardiologist and I work in Glasgow, um, and alongside my clinical work, I have an interest in history of medicine, and I'm current archivist to the British Cardiovascular Society.
0: Brilliant. And Ian, how about you?
2: So I'm uh, Dr. Ian Simpson. I'm a cardiologist who's uh, fairly recently retired and uh, was uh, I've been a past president of the British Cardiovascular Society. And I'm also involved in the uh, BCS uh, Archive Committee with Caroline and have been uh, asked to co-edit the centenary edition of uh, Heart um, with uh, my colleague uh, Simon Ray from Manchester.
0: And as you say Ian this is the centenary year of the formation of the uh, British Cardiovascular Society or the the Cardiac Club as it was previously known. Can you talk perhaps a little bit about the formation of the Cardiac Club and its story to date? Caroline maybe I can go to you for this.
1: Yeah sure. So um the origins of the Cardiac Club um really came about at the beginning of the 20th century and it was James Mackenzie, I think, he, who deserves the credit for, for bringing together a group of like-minded physicians that were interested in diseases of the heart. And he suggested around 1910 that they form a club. Um, unfortunately, the First World War intervened um, with those plans. And it was, it was actually the war that prompted the, the formal formation of the club because the, the government appointed physicians across Britain to advise them on war-related pensions. As you'll know, soldier's heart was a big problem in those days, and um, they really needed to gather opinions from the experts. And it was that meeting um, after the First World War where those physicians came together um, at the Association of Physicians meeting in 1922, April the 22nd, um, that the Cardiac Club came into existence. And there were 15 original members from across Britain And James McKenzie was was an honorary member.
0: And can you tell us a little bit about how the club evolved over the next uh, few decades?
1: Yeah, so in its early days, it was clearly a very elite club with few members. Um, In the late 1930s, it became clear that the specialty of cardiology was growing. There was huge innovations in, in diagnostics, particularly relating to the electrocardiogram. And it meant there were more physicians with interest in diseases of the heart. So the club expanded and it um, changed its name and and the membership increased. It also had a a much wider international um, following with honorary members from overseas and uh, associate members that weren't necessarily physicians. Um, So that was a sort of major turning point Later on in this um, era where cardiac surgery became important, there was also engagement with the cardiac surgeons, which as you'll know, was really instrumental in, in many of the developments in valvular heart disease, congenital heart disease, that, that collaboration between physicians and surgeons.
0: And then as we move towards the, the modern day, obviously we have the, uh, the name change to the, to the current name. We have the the formation of the of the journal of course which is you know we're we're talking on the the heart podcast today can you talk a little bit more about perhaps the the last 10 or 20 years of of the bcs
1: yeah so i mean it's it's really um changed hugely from being this very exclusive club um to a much broader community in the 1990s May change, and it was a strategic change um, that was implemented by the society, was, was the affiliation and the formal affiliation of a number of um, associated groups. And now there are over, over 20 of those. And those really form the, form the, the core of the, the society today. So it's, it's a much more inclusive society. It encompasses not just doctors, but um, you know, wider um, health professionals. And it's really a much more forward thinking organisation has really tackled some of the challenges that that we face today.
0: And I'm assuming that this was the first um, society for cardiologists of its kind in the world. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so that is, uh, I suppose, our claim to fame. Um, you know, the other countries were not far behind and um, the German Cardiac Society in Europe was another similar professional society. And the New York Cardiological Society, which interestingly was called the James McKenzie Society when it first came into inception um, on the other side of the Atlantic.
0: And maybe if I can turn to you for a little bit, Ian, um, what would you say, I mean, as a past president of the of the BCS, the British Cardiovascular Society, what do you think the purpose of the modern BCS is? I mean, it's clear from Caroline uh, and what she's just told us that it's changed immeasurably from what it was 100 years ago. How do you see the, the modern BCS and, and what are its main roles?
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting. I trained in the 1980s, and it's changed enormously since then. I mean, back at that point, you really had to be a trained cardiologist to become a member. You had to have presented at the society often repeatedly, and you had to be nominated by and seconded by members of the society who all referred to each other purely by their surname at that stage. Wow. Um, So uh, 40 years on it is a very different society and I think as Caroline's alluded to it is now a society for all healthcare professionals with a cardiovascular interest and also patients because we do have a patient related affiliated group as well Um, and I think what to me, it, it remains a professional society and therefore it has to support its members. But ultimately, it's about trying to provide an excellence in cardiovascular care for patients. Um, and it's it's got various themes to it, which I think are important because they are the basic structure of the society, which I think is is, is what it will remain moving forward. There is obviously an advocacy element to it and a well-being to support the professional memberships. Um, A lot about governance and clinical governance and quality of care and some of that's linked to how we work with other societies around the world. Although it doesn't have any specific remit for training because that comes under the General Medical Council in the United Kingdom, it is devolved and de facto the members of the society are the ones who define the training curriculum or at least put it forward for uh, approval. But the BCS has a very major role in the education that underpins both training and I think importantly, the sort of lifelong learning of established uh, cardiologists. So they are the kind of sort of main, I think, themes within the society. And I think there are some, newly are things that are developing and need to be developed and we'll probably come on and talk more about women in cardiology which i think is a particularly important area um, of change working in a digital era and, and also, I think the, the archive itself, although people think of it as, uh, as history, um, as uh, Arthur Holman, who has the eponymous name of the archive, um, uh, uh, always said, you know, today's uh, um, practice and information is tomorrow's archive. And I think it is very important that we maintain that to um, learn things from the past so that we can continue to do better in the future.
0: Uh, thank you very much. And this episode of um, well, this edition of the, of the Heart Journal, which celebrates the centenary, is stuffed full of amazing articles, which demonstrate the, should we say, the the leadership of British cardiology and how it's influenced worldwide practice, uh, including things like cardiomyopathy, valve disease, uh, imaging pacing and electrophysiology real leadership in terms of clinical trials and national registries influencing policy not just in the UK but of course across Europe and the world do either of you want to talk about any elements of those that you've been uh, particularly impressed by that you think where you think britain has had a really uh, major role in influencing policy
1: yes yeah, so britain's had a, a long standing um Contribution to, to cardiovascular medicine, and, and that goes right back to William Harvey's description of the circulation in, in 1628. Um, and I think the achievements that have been made are, are rarely attributable to, to a single individual. There are certainly some some key contributions um, in the the, the, cent, the last century, and I think particular things to highlight are are the. Um, contribution to cardiac surgery, and, and with that, the understanding of um, valvular and congenital heart disease. The um, really impressive work has been, been done across the country in cardiovascular imaging. And I, I think that is really clearly a multimodality specialty, and doesn't, hasn't just brought, brought in innovations from, from cardiologists, but also the, the engineers and the scientists that really underpin um, success in in medicine. Cardiomopathy and genetics article, um, again, illustrates the the sort of multifaceted role of of basic scientists involved in in innovation and and developments of clinical medicine. So it's a really nice um, selection of work that's gone on in Britain in more recent history.
0: And the, uh, the issue will be made open access um, if it's not already uh, when it comes out in April. So everybody will be able to read those um, really in-depth articles, um, highlighting, as you say, the, the individual figures involved in some of those discoveries, uh, but also the team working behind them. Ian, maybe we can talk a little bit um, with your, your ex or past president hat on in terms of the links uh, between the BCS and Europe and particularly the BCS and the USA and their cardiac uh, societies. Can you expand on the importance of those to the BCS?
2: Yes, well, I think in terms of the centenary edition, I think it's mm. um, maybe more generally, first, it's important to say that we we put this together very much as a celebration mm. um, of the society over the past 100 years, but we're cognizant of the fact that you know this is about the whole of the history of BCS up to the present time, but also looking forward. And many of the articles that um, Caroline has alluded to are, are kind of review style articles where we've paired very much established figures of British cardiology with younger emerging leaders um, so that the flavour of the articles is both historical, but also contemporary practice and a look towards the future. And in addition to these, we have a number of or editorial style articles that really provide an insight into how BCS has evolved from the exclusive club that we discussed earlier to a very diverse community, and also has developed close national and international associations with other professional societies. And as you say, uh, James, both the uh, societies that probably we have the closest links to um, uh, are the European Society of Cardiology and the American College of Cardiology. And BCS has been instrumental both in their development, but also our association with them has been a very valuable, um, not only in just sharing uh, opportunities and learning ideas, but with the European Society of Cardiology in particular it is a very broad reach and indeed cardiovascular disease is obviously a global uh, problem and both these societies have a much greater global reach which I think is important for BCS to be involved in and the links with the European Society of Cardiology are extremely broad and I think we are one if not the largest national society contributing to many of the committees and initiatives within the European Society of Cardiology uh, and possibly the most important of these in many ways is the um, society guidelines which are a very much internationally recognized and used throughout not just Europe but in many parts of, of the world. Um, the links with the American College of Cardiology uh, I have a sort of personal association with. I um, uh, was fortunate enough, like many trainees in uh, British cardiology, to go and uh, spend time in the United States in a research fellowship capacity. And I think this is something that has evolved and continued for many of our trainees. And I think probably the biggest link with the uh American College of Cardiology has been very much in the training uh, and education and we have been very fortunate in many ways to link with them in their lifelong learning program which has I think revolutionized in many ways the way we deliver education for trained cardiologists as part of the um, annual scientific conference of the BCS. So we do have very close links with these um, two major international societies and And uh, with the American College of Cardiology, we now actually have a twinning relationship, which was originally with their Californian chapter of the American College and is now with the Virginia chapter, which I'm sure will continue to bear many uh, useful educational and other programs in the future.
0: And um, just before we finish, you've both mentioned the fact that the, the society has changed immeasurably. Um, over the last few years, and uh, particularly has uh, become a more diverse place, open to, open to everybody with an interest in cardiovascular medicine. Can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of uh, women in cardiology initiatives and other initiatives uh, that the BCS has, has started down?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I think, I mean, if we go back to the beginning of, of the cardiac club, um, women didn't even have the same voting rights as men. So that didn't happen until 1928. Um, women um, were not physicians, let alone cardiologists, until the, the middle half of the 20th century. Um, so it's it's absolutely brilliant to see um, the, the voice of women in cardiology, the voice of the um, British Junior Cardiovascular Society. You know, the trainees; these are the, the future generation for the society. Um, and it's really, I think these members that have, have driven change and, and will continue to, uh, I guess, sort of have a shared purpose for, for what the future of this society is all about. Um, it, it certainly stay true to its traditions, I think, of, of sharing friendship and um, providing education within um, cardiovascular medicine. Um, so those those original founding principles has never changed, but I think ultimately the history of the society is, is really a story of of the people and the the society that we actually live in and, and the changing cultures and perceptions um, of the world about us um, and i think that's reflected in, in the growth and diversity of the society today
0: any uh, comments on that Ian, i don't know this is an issue close to your heart during your time as, as president and since
2: yes and and i think um all that carolina said is is absolutely true and and i think we are in an era where the recognition of the issues related to women in cardiology are becoming much more uh, at a forefront but i think there's so much more that we need to do it's easy to celebrate what we have done but i think we're only really scratching the surface in many respects um And I think the article in the centenary edition of Heart um, alludes to that. But I think it also um, hopefully will inspire more women to um, engage in cardiology. It's been a specialty that's always attracted the best. And of course, 50% of the best possibly even more, are women (laughs) by definition. And therefore, if we don't attract women into our specialty at all levels, then we are missing out on the the very best people. And that alone is a a reason to um, ensure that we change things for the future. and I think the other thing that's probably, I think it is the, one of the biggest challenges for our society moving forward and probably for society moving forward in many ways. Um, and there, there, we now are gathering information, which is very helpful in respect to women in cardiology. But I think there's also a bigger diversity agenda Uh, And I know that this is uh, something that they have been dealing with in many of the other professional societies um, across the world as well. It's not just women in cardiology, it's uh, uh, black and minority ethnics and uh, LGBT community as well, where there really is no data at the moment to underpin what the issues are around diversity. But what we do know about it is they're probably not dissimilar to what have been with women in cardiology, and these are the areas that I think are going to be challenging. They're easy to talk about, they're challenging to deliver. But I get a sense, particularly within BCS, that there is a a real um, attitude change and a real drive to improve this in the future, which is encouraging and, and I think important for the success and survival of our specialty.
0: And of course, the many would say the highlight of the year is the, the annual scientific conference that I know Ian was involved in, in delivering for, for several years. Um, and are there any particular memories of, of organising that, Ian, that you'd like to share? Uh, to me, to my mind, I've been going for the last 10 or so years. The, the sort of number of attendees has just massively increased over the last 10 years. And then the, the digital conference last year during the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic again, really showed how agile the society was at pivoting, you know, suddenly going from an in-person conference, which had to be changed at the last minute to a digital conference was fantastic. Anything you'd like to share about that particular meeting in terms of its value to, to people who may never have been before?
2: I think it's always been a little bit of the flagship of the society, um, uh, the annual conference, and it has evolved and it continues to evolve. And having uh, been responsible for its delivery for many years, I can tell you many headaches that we went through in (laughs) getting to deliver it. But I think the important thing is that it has evolved. We changed a lot of the structure so that there was more emphasis on education rather than just potentially research which obviously still remains an important part of the conference and the digital era as you say has made it uh, evolve i think possibly one of the biggest things that changed in uh, in recent times has been the use of the education hall um, for simulation training. Uh, which has been enormously successful and uh, greatly advantageous to trainees and trained cardiologists alike. And, um, and, and the emphasis, again, on the lifelong learning and uh, giving people much more updated information on good clinical practice as well as um, cutting edge research and uh, the proof of the pudding is always in the eating, and the reality is we see more and more people coming to the annual conference, and more and more people uh, enjoying it and coming back. and And I think as long as it continues to evolve and really recognise and deliver what the uh, cardiology uh, community, and I mean that in the wider sense, um, want, then uh, then I think it will continue to be a successful meeting.
0: Thank you very much. And um, just finally, Caroline, are there any thoughts you want to share? Any particular highlights of this Centenary edition of Heart? Any articles that really uh, captured your imagination, obviously, apart from your own fantastic piece?
1: I think I'd like to just talk a little bit about the the archives and the, and the future really, because mm. we we're, we're very fortunate as a society to have our own heritage, historical collection. It, it really is unique, and we are extremely grateful to um, the members that have largely donated their personal um, items, um, equipment they've used in their own practice. We have some really unique items. Um, for example, the the toy train that Augustus Waller used to record the the first human electrocardiogram, a complete um, Cambridge Instrument Company electrocardiograph, um, and, and a number of items that really today's cardiologists would look at and wonder what they were used for. Um, but in 50 years' time, I've no doubt that the future cardiologists will look back <laughs> at what we're doing today and uh, question. What on earth we were thinking. Um, So I I really feel it's important that that we continue to preserve um, our history and to catalogue and and collect um, this material for for the benefit of of future generations. So um, an an appeal to members and and, and others actually um, in in the wider community that we're really interested to to maintain this vital resource.
0: And the physical collection is is in Fitzroy Square, isn't it, at the, the home of the BCS? But is there, a, is there a digital version planned, or does that exist already?
1: Yeah, so we're hoping that we will get some funding to digitalise the collection. It's certainly what, what other libraries and, and heritage organisations have been trying to do, and that just makes it much more accessible to a wider audience, both mm. at home and abroad. Um, we're, we're also working on a project um, really inspired by the Centenary um, to collect both audio and video interviews, as as part of an oral history archive collection. And that's really to to sort of collect those um, very personal viewpoints and recollections of members of the society that perhaps wouldn't be published, wouldn't be presented at a a meeting or wouldn't be written down. Um, And although that's just a tiny proportion of of all the people that have contributed to the society, we we do feel it's a really important um, aspect to capture and it's been fascinating to to do that project with the the trainees that have have joined us for that initiative.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to hearing the results of of that project uh, when it comes to fruition, which hopefully will be soon. Any closing thoughts, Ian, for the uh, podcast audience?
2: Just, uh, I think the centenary edition is part of the will become part of the archive of of the BCS, and uh, and I hope that people. Enjoy it that it is something that they can see from within it, that we have used the 100 years of British cardiology to not only learn from the past as we move uh, towards the future of the next 100 years, uh, but that it will give them an insight into um, not only some of the areas that BCS have been involved with, but also some of the people and personalities who have helped shape it and may well shape it in the 100 years to come.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you both uh, so much for your time. It's been a real privilege to talk to you. As I say, the the whole edition will be made open access so everybody can uh, read all the articles. And um, I encourage everybody to do that. And thanks again so much for your time. You're welcome.
1: Thanks, James.